Hey, before we get into this episode today, I just wanted to let you know that we would greatly appreciate if you liked, subscribed, left a review, five stars, five testicles, whatever you want to call them on this podcast. That will help this podcast rank higher in search results so that in the future, anybody who's searching for resources when they've just been diagnosed or have just become a survivor or is a caregiver, they can find this podcast more easily and listen to your stories. Thank you so much. And let's get into the episode. The stories shared on It Takes Balls are unique to the individual sharing. Always speak with your trusted medical provider for treatment options specific to you. Welcome back to It Takes Balls. It's 2023, February 1st. Today I'm joined by Kyle and Justine Benoit. Justine is Kyle's caregiver. Kyle is a survivor. It's going to be super great and informative today to get a caregiver's perspective. So thank you guys both for being here. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having us. So... Talk about, paint a picture of what life was like before your diagnosis. I know in your submission, you mentioned that you had kids and and right after diagnosis or right before you gave birth again. Yeah, so we had two little girls at home. They're, they were, um, oh, were they two and five? And I was pregnant. Um, in January, Kyle noticed he had a lump and um, he actually went to the doctor Um, just to get it checked out, see what was going on. So when he went to the doctor, um, he did get an ultrasound on that lump um, on his testicle. And he went to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, you know, I think it's probably a cyst, but it's it's not a big deal. I don't think there's anything wrong. Um, And how did you feel, I guess? From a guy point of view, I didn't really think too much about it. Just she said it could be a cyst, more than likely, so I just kind of put it to the back of my brain and went about my business. And I was supposed to go back and get it checked a little sooner than I did, but being on a farm, we got busy, and I didn't think it was that big of a deal. So, like I said, I pushed it to the back of my brain and kept going. So then we um, found out we were pregnant with a boy. So we have two girls, found out we were pregnant with a boy, super excited. Um, and then our son was born in August. Um And so that was super fun. We were so busy. Um, And prior to our son being born, Kyle said, you know, that lump's still there, you know, and it's kind of weird. We didn't feel, he didn't feel like it grew at all, Um, but he he did mention that. And that was kind of in the back of our brain. Um, So Kaiser was born and then you finish what happened. Uh, He was born and then a couple weeks later, we ended up losing a grandparent. And a week, a week after her funeral, I, uh, got a bug bite that got infected so i went back to the doctor on thursday and to get antibiotics to take care of that before the weekend and mentioned to her that lump was still there and she's like well if i can get you in do you want to get in and get it checked again i was like yeah let's go ahead and do it so she comes back i can get you in we went in got it checked out left got an ultrasound got an ultrasound and then headed out i mean to pick up our son our son was three weeks old at this point. So it was the first time that we had ever left him. We left him with my sister-in-law and my mother-in-law. Um, and we're gone for maybe, maybe 45 minutes max. And we started driving home and we were about 30 miles from our hospital that we had been at. And we got a phone call when we were halfway there. And, um, they said, Hey, can you, can you put us on speakerphone? So Kyle put us put the doctor on speakerphone and she said, are you driving? And we're like, yeah, we're, we're headed home. She said, I need you to pull over. Mm. At that point we knew something wasn't right. I think both of our hearts pounded. We pulled over. She said, you know, that mass has grown. It doubled in size. Um, and there's blood flow to it now. And that's the sign of cancer. Um, what questions do you have? Well, at that time, I don't think anyone has questions. When you get that news, you're like, what, (laughs) what, (laughs) how do you even respond? So she said that she would get us set up with another doctor, a urologist, um, and to go from there. So that was, it was so emotional for me. Just, I just had a baby anyway. And how, how do you react when someone says you might have cancer? You know, she wouldn't tell us for sure, but it's a good sign that you have cancer. Yeah. And I mean, Justine, jumping back to the first time that he noticed something, I mean, as the the wife and and the caregiver, is that something that was worrying you where he put it to the back of his head? Was it on your mind at all? Or had you kind of put it back as well? It was a concern. 
Um, and I was glad he went for the first time, but I'll be honest with you. They told us that it could be that cyst and that they told us that the doctor that Kyle had seen told us that this type of cancer isn't for, um, people his age. He's 29 years old. We're too young for that. That's really not a thing. Um, jump forward when you, you know, look at statistics, this is the perfect age. Um, so I, it makes me sad that I don't think this is advocated enough and I don't think people do the checks like they should. And it's definitely an eye opening when someone has this. So it kind of went to the back of my mind too, um, unfortunately. And I wish it wouldn't have because we wouldn't be in the position that we were in if we would have taken care of it earlier. Yeah. And Kyle mentioned you guys are on a farm. I mean, the Midwest, I, I don't know how populated your, your town is, but your urologist might not necessarily see this type of thing very often. Yeah, she definitely doesn't. I mean, our, our town, we might have 100 people here in this town. The town where the hospital's at, I think they're close to 2,000. And, yeah, like she said, she told us that more than likely I was too young to get this type of cancer and then come find out 18 to 32 is about the age gap where you're most likely to get it if you're going to get it. Yeah. Well, talk about... um you mentioned the town being small, hundred people. I mean, talk about the pace of life out there. Cause where I'm at, everything is so fast paced and everything. So you guys, I imagine are a lot slower. Um, at times, yes. But like we said, growing up on a farm, you know, it's always been farm. So it's always go, go, go. Um, but other than that, yeah, it's, it's a pretty mellow town. Everybody knows everybody. Uh, people watch out for your kids when they're running around town the kids are acting up or they see something they don't like adults see something they don't like they'll call you and let you know they're just like hey there's a vehicle sitting over here and don't know who it is you might come get your kids so it's you know it's a nice clean little community to grow up in and makes everything easy but then again it's small it everybody knows your business it's kind of the one downfall it's it's very hard to hide anything and keep it personal because you tell one person, it's usually by the time you tell them and get home, everybody knows. So it does make it a little hard to be personal, but it's it's a good town to grow up in. Yeah. I mean, does that small town feel, does that have a positive or negative impact on when you're going through something like this and the support that you get? It was crazy, the support that we got. It was amazing we had people bringing us meals all the time we had everyone in their dog saying can we take your kids can we take your kids because uh, we had little kids during it i mean we had a newborn when we started the whole process so it was it was amazing having that support um and our family was i don't we couldn't have got through this without the family that we had and the friends um that helped us out let's talk about the the treatment that kyle received and mentioned being on a farm how that kind of impacted your ability to do the work that needed to be done? Yeah. So when our son was four weeks old, um, we went in and he had the testicle removed. Um, at that point, they told us, you know, that they would have to send it to pathology and they were going to do some reports for us. So they, they sent it. Um, Kyle actually ended up staying the night in the hospital. Um, so it was the first time we actually had to leave our son overnight. Um, at that point, I don't think you care what's going on or where the babies are. You know, we were worried about kicking cancers, but so we got home probably a week later, they called us, um, and told us it was stage two B cancer that it had went ahead and spread, um, to lymph nodes. And he was, he was hurting pretty bad. I would say what that good week he was home and kind of on the couch for a while, not wanting to get up, not wanting to go. Um, I think we were both still in shock, like wow, this happened. We found out on a t Thursday and then by Tuesday we were in the hospital having surgery. So it, it moved very fast. We met my doctor that from Plainville. We the talked to her on Thursday. Physician. She uh, sent us to Hayes and we got in on Monday. To the urologist. Talked to him on Monday and he brought me back in on Tuesday for surgery. So he had surgery right away, um, came home, kind of started enjoying life. And then we went back to the urologist. They sent us off to um, the oncologist and we found out he was going to have to do nine weeks of BEP chemo. So Justine, when you're in the waiting room, when he's having his orchiectomy, 
what is that like? Because I know my mom was there when I had mine and the surgeon said it's going to be 30 minutes, but he didn't mention like the prep time and the recovery. So 30 minutes went by and she's like, what's going on? Like, I haven't heard anything. So tell me what it's like being in the waiting room. It was rough. (laughs) Um, I was four weeks postpartum, so I was not emotionally stable in the first place. Um, It was the first time I was gone from my baby for a while. I was um, nursing, so I was pumping as I'm sitting in the waiting room, waiting to find out and to think, does my husband really have cancer? Is this really it? My mother-in-law thankfully sat with me um, and we took turns crying. We took turns hugging each other. Um, at this point, we hadn't even told everyone. It had went by so fast. We had told our immediate family, but we didn't tell cousins and close friends really what was going on. Um, so we were constantly making calls saying like, hey, we need your prayers. We need your thoughts. Here's what's going on. You know, um, we have cancer going on. Um, so it was it was the worst wait. And then when we got to go see him, you know, I was always the one that he took care of. I was always the one that, you know, he was there for me while I was having our babies and he was there for me making sure I was always okay. So when we got to his room and he was still kind of out of it, I I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I didn't even know how to handle it because, you know, he's not the one that's sick, you know, in sickness and health, but he's supposed to take care of me. It's not the other way around. So it was really, really hard to see and still comprehend that this is what was going on. Yeah. And Kyle, she mentioned the in sickness and in health and you're the one supposed to be taking care of her. I mean, how did that feel for you to be the one that was down and out for a bit? Uh, it, it was hard. Uh, yeah. Especially with two little girls looking up to me, it, it was really hard to be sick for them and kind of let their, let their, let them see their dad be sick and weak and, not really be able to do everything that I had been doing. And so it did take a toll on me, but luckily I found a good one that stuck by my side and took really good care of me and did make it a lot easier. Yeah. I can't beat that with a stick. All right. Let's talk about, um, after the orchiectomy and deciding, did you get, were you guys given the option of EP or only BEP was on the table for you? The oncologist really only told us BEP. That's what we needed to do um, because it had moved to lymph nodes around um, the abdomen. And then there was a few up in his chest that they were concerned about. All right. So when you were you both in the appointment with the oncologist? Yeah. Yeah. And what was that like for you to hear, Justine, those that chemo is going to be nine weeks and I'm sure they told you it's going to compound and he's going to lose his hair and all that stuff? Um, and that was it, the hair. I don't know why that's such a big thing, but knowing he was going to lose his hair, just that makes you look that someone's sick. You know, when you walk into Walmart and you see someone bald, um, you know, with a mask on because we can't get him sick or whatever. I feel like everyone's heart's just like poor, poor, pitiful them. Um, and I didn't want that. I didn't want that for our family. I didn't want people feeling sorry for us. And I didn't want my kids seeing their dad and being scared or being concerned that he wasn't okay. That's how I felt. Kyle, how that, how'd that make you feel? Uh, it, it didn't, it didn't really hit me until I actually did. So I made it through the first round without losing hair. So when the second round, I think I was closer to the end of my first week of treatment when I started losing it. And that's kind of when it really hit me. But I mean, Luckily for me, I, I I was able to keep a positive note clear through the whole thing. I mean, there was a couple of times that it really hit me, but it, it made it real when I lost the hair, but it didn't scare me as bad as the way the what they put in me made me feel. Gotcha. Um, let's talk about, so as chemo progressed and it compounded, how did that, and I don't know how big your farm is, how big your operation, but... I imagine any size farm is, is quite a bit of work. Um, so how did that kind of play into taking care of what needed to be done? And then Justine, how did you fill in the, the gaps? Um, luckily I, I work on the family farm. So I got my dad, my uncle, my cousin and me, and then we have a hired hand that are all out there. And, uh, we do during calving season, we're anywhere from four to 500 cows that we're calving out. So luckily, uh, 
we hadn't started calving yet during chemo and towards the end of the chemo is when I start is when we started calving. So it, it kind of played out well, as far as that, I was able to take care of most stuff that I normally do. Um, we didn't really have a problem until, uh, I was getting ready to go for my surgery and we had to bring somebody else on and kind of help finish out calving and stuff. But uh, like I said, luckily we, we have enough people on the farm. It, it went pretty smooth. It, I mean, it takes a toll when somebody's gone, but everybody pitches in and it works out. Family-wise, you know, I think wives and husbands, you always joke about, oh my gosh, my husband doesn't do dishes or my husband doesn't do laundry. And I was always that person. Anyone and everyone knew. I was like, Kyle doesn't even know where our, you know, our washer and dryer is. Well, when he was down, I was like, hey, I am so sorry I ever, ever made fun of you because this is hard doing everything, taking out the trash. It's just little things that you don't even think about. Um, Unfortunately, when Kyle was going through chemo, he was really sick. And we had um, a kindergartner, a preschooler, and then um, Kaiser was still, you know, he's what, three, four months at this point. And so they're just little germy boxes, right? They're full of germs going to school every day. So it was really hard trying to keep everything clean. And I'm also a little bit um, particular on certain things. So I I wish I would have asked for more help, but I didn't. I liked things cleaned and then I would kind of yell and kind of get on everyone's nerves because I wasn't liking how people were doing things at my house, um, especially the kids, you know, um, they were rock stars throughout the whole process. They, I, I don't even know what to say about our kids, except we owe them a trip to Disney world probably because they were so <laughs> good and they stepped up so much helping, you know, whether that was getting me a diaper, if I was changing someone's pants or, um, you know, getting in the bath and listening and doing their little homework and stuff. So it was, it was a lot doing it solo. I felt like I was a solo mom. And then on top of it, I had Kyle that I was trying to provide comfort to as much as possible um, because he was, he was so sick. And during the chemo, it was, we got RSV and my son had RSV. So that was scary in itself. Um, Babies with RSV. So we went to the doctor, he got on breathing treatments, um, got him home. And I kid you not, I scrubbed our floors. I scrubbed everything with a um, bleach daily, multiple times a day, hoping Kyle wouldn't get it because, you know, he had no immune system during the chemo. Unfortunately, he got it. Um, my kiddos had a concert, a Christmas concert. And when I got home from the Christmas concert, you know, Kyle just looked off, took his temperature. Yep. He had a high temperature. So we went into the ER. There it was. He had RSV. So we got that taken care of, got back. Life was back to normal, getting through chemo still. Um, and our middle daughter, which middle child, if you've ever heard anything about middle children being ornery, is so, so true. They were messing around and she broke her collarbone. Well, I had been like poking on her collarbone. This was late at night, you know, right before bed. And, you know, she she was so exhausted. I thought, not a big deal. Let's go to bed. So we went to bed, woke up the next morning. I was like, I better take her to the doctor. So we get up. I take Kyle to chemo, drop him off take Carlin to, um, luckily our cousin, my best friend watched her while I went back to chemo, made sure Kyle was doing okay. I think that day is that the day you were throwing up in chemo. It was so sick. So it was like the worst day possible. Mm. Um, my cousin brings Carlin, gets us to, um, the pediatrician. We get in the x-ray and, um, the x-ray tech says, do you want to see your picture? And my little girl says, yeah. And we see it. And I'm not kidding you. It was the most broken bone I could ever see in my life. Mm. It was horrible. And so we get out of there. Kyle calls and he's like, hey, I need to go home. And we're about 45 minutes from home. And I was like, you don't understand. Her bone is broken and I don't even know what we're going to do here. So luckily my father-in-law came and picked up Kyle so he could um, go home because he was so sick. And at that point, I just sat in the bathroom and I cried and I was like, I need something, Lord, you've got to help me because I don't know if I can keep coming. And then I think the other thing was like, I was scared, like, what's the doctor going to think? You know, like, am I a bad parent because I let my three-year-old break her collarbone? 
So, but she got a sling and she was a rock star through the whole time. I don't even, I don't even know how we made it through that process. <laughs> it was crazy. Well, there's that song, a hundred bad days makes a hundred good stories. So yeah, really. it all works out now. You mentioned earlier being about 30 miles <clears throat> from your hospital and just then 45 minutes from home. Is that kind of normal out there in, in Kansas or? Yeah. Well, I'm in our area. Yes. We're just, we're kind of out in the middle. We're, we're probably closer to 20 minutes to our actual local hospital. And then it's another 20, 23 minutes from there to the big hospital in Hayes. And that's where I did my treatment. So yeah, we drove back and forth to Hayes for treatment. So it was, it's a long road. And when you're, when you're nauseous, you can feel every bump in the highway. It's, it never was that bad of a drive before, but yeah, when you're nauseous the whole time, it's a long trip. Yeah. I can't imagine. Um, in the small town hospital feel, um, did you feel like your care team knew what they were doing with testicular cancer or? Uh, at, at our local one, not so much, but I mean, they don't see it every day. It's not, it's not what they do. I mean, for out here, they're taking care of, yeah, either the sicknesses or broken bones or stitches, you know, not the big stuff. And in Hayes, I never questioned them. Um, my oncology doctor was awesome. If he, I think he second guessed himself more than I did is he would tell me what we were going to do. And then he would go talk to doctors in Kansas city and get their opinion. And then he'd come back and be like, yeah, this is what they would do. I was like, I never doubted you, but he would, it seemed like he always just double checked just to make sure and kind of help us cut back on the stress a little bit. But I, it was a great team in Hayes and I would never question them or doubt them. And the nurses were wonderful. They were so caring, so loving, you know, knew us by name, helped with whatever they could. It was, it felt like a good place to be. You know, a lot of people, I think when you're in this situation say, well, did you get a second opinion? Are you sure this is what you want to do? But, you know, we never questioned it once where we were going. My uncle is the head of pharmacy there. And so that helped too, is he knew um, everyone, you know, we asked a lot for his advice of what he should do. And my mom is a nurse as well. And so having that kind of in the family definitely helped us make our decisions and being in a little town and, you know, the big hospital that we did go to being 45 miles away and us having three little kids, that was a big concern for us too. We didn't want to be four hours from home and having to, you know, move our kids here, there and everywhere. So. I think that's really respectable that your doctor went and asked for help because that shows he, he wanted the best for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so after chemo finished, you had RPL and D. So talk about the timeline in between that and the decision-making. So he had his last chemo on December 27th. So I think we were so positive that we're going to start out 2022 with no, no cancer. It's going to be great. Um, and then Kyle turned 30 in February and so I just knew in the back of my head, like, hey, he's going to turn 30 and he's going to be cancer free. So his birthday is on February 9th and we went on February 10th for a scan, a CAT scan and blood work. You know, we were so positive. We had plans to go out to dinner. You know, it was so exciting. And we had the scan done and we went in and our oncologist said, you know, you could read his face. You could read his body language that it wasn't clear. He came in and he told us, you know, your spots and lymph nodes, I'm just not, I'm not sure about. I don't feel comfortable you leaving him in. I really think we need to do the surgery. Um, so we both agreed. And so then they referred us to the oncologist that was going to do it. Um, this is where we have so much respect for our hospital is the oncologist that we first had told us, you know, I've done this surgery. I'm comfortable with this serves the surgery, but there's another doctor here that does it way more often than I do. He's, you know, I'm at the point that I'm ready to retire in my career. You know, I'm, I'm not yet, but 
I'm ready to let him do it, but I'm going to be assisting in the whole surgery. At that point, I just felt like the calmness kind of came over us and we're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Um, and then we scheduled it. Kyle, how did you feel hearing that you're going to have to have that surgery? Uh, well, when they told me, of course, it's in the, you know, winter, spring area, right when we're calving. So that was my first thought was like, we're, we're going to be right in the middle of calving doing this. And I was like, I saw stressing out about the farm and more worried about that and how I was going to provide for my kids and family and didn't really think too much about it. Just it's another surgery. It's going to knock me out for a few weeks and all this stuff. And talking to the doctors, they didn't help calm my mind any because one doctor is like, yeah, he's like probably about six. And I was like, six weeks, that's not bad. And he's like months. I was like, no, he's like, yeah, he's like, it's a major surgery. He's like, He's like, you're going to get back sooner, but you're not going to be a hundred percent sooner. And he wasn't very far off. It, it took me almost all of the six months to get back to kind of normal. I mean, there's still things that affect me and it, it could be from the chemo too, but it's just some weird things that I didn't notice until after the surgery that kind of play effect on daily life. But just an aside, cause I live at the beach. What is calving? Uh, it's when the cows are all having their babies and you got to be out there just, especially in the cold, make sure they're getting up and everything. And we put tags in all the calves so we can keep them ID'd with the mom and everything. So you're some sleepless nights and stuff. We do a lot of heifers. So you got to babysit them every two to three hours, especially when it gets cold. So yeah, you're out throughout the night and everything. So a heifer is a first time cow, first time that it's ever having a baby. And they are just clueless, so sometimes they don't feed their baby or walk away from their baby. So a lot of times they pull them and put them in a warm place because we usually have really, really cold winters sometimes. So get them somewhere warm so they don't die because it's like $500 a calf. So mm. <laughs> we want them as many alive as possible. Jeez. Well, should I have a burger tonight in your honor or no? Absolutely. Okay. We'll send you a steak. <laughs> okay. Great. <laughs> Um, all right. So let's, we talked about the waiting room for the orchiectomy. Let's talk about the waiting room for the RPL and D. Oh my gosh. So, um, unfortunately my mother-in-law couldn't be there and my mom was going to come. And unfortunately my mom couldn't come. So thank goodness for my stepmom. Um, she called, she said, heck yeah, I'll be there. Um, so she was there. When they were pulling Kyle back, I lost it. I couldn't contain myself. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I wasn't sure how long it was going to be. They quoted us three to six hours, but the doctor said three hours max. That's all it's going to be. And I said, okay. And so we get out to the waiting room and they call me and say, hey, everything's going great. He's still asleep. Everything's fine. And an hour goes by and I'm okay. And another hour goes by. I'm getting a little anxious. And during the whole procedure, I keep getting text messages and phone calls. How's Kyle? How's it going? Is he done? And I think that made my anxiety go through the roof because no, he wasn't done. No, I wasn't getting updates. Um, about halfway into the surgery, they called me and they said, we haven't been able to get any lymph nodes out. And I said, okay, is that normal? And they said, well, you know, we're just, we're having a tough time getting them. Um, so at that time I, I lost it. I, I didn't know how to function. I didn't know how to keep it together. And you're in this waiting room and COVID was still a thing. So we were all wearing masks. And at that time, I, I feel horrible for any cancer patient going through this during COVID because all you want to see is a smile. All you want is someone else's facial expression to give you a little bit of joy inside and it felt so cold and we were just sitting there. Um, my uncle, like I mentioned, had worked there. So he came up and brought us lunch and I said, you know, I, I haven't heard anything. And just at that time we got another phone call and said, it's going good. Um, so at that time it had been like five and a half hours and the doctor came out and said, it went good. Um, longer than we thought it was a little bit harder to get those, but, it's good. We got them all out. Um, so like I mentioned earlier, he had some lymph nodes in his chest and there was one that they were pretty concerned about. So he was going to try to get it. 
Um, but unfortunately he didn't. He said, you know, that was too risky. I'm not okay getting it. We're going to leave it in there. Um, I don't think it on that side, it didn't usually pertain to testicular cancer. Um, so they didn't get it. So when he told me that it was a big concern, I was like, Oh my gosh, after this, I don't want to go to, you know, a different doctor for up by his chest, but we get back and they get him into there and he asked for his dad. You know, when he woke up, he asked for his dad. I'm like, what? Hey, I was there, dude. Uh But he wanted to make sure the cows were okay. (laughs) Typical farmer for you. (laughs) So we got back up there and got settled and my um, stepmom left and his dad came up and my sister-in-law came up and that kind of eased my mind a little bit. You know, I was able to talk to my mom and talk to Kyle's mom and I felt good. I felt really good. And I felt like our journey was over as soon as we got to see him and all of our family knew what was kind of going on. On this podcast, we talk a lot about advice for uh, patients and survivors, but what advice could you give to somebody who's in a waiting room to distract themselves? Or do you not want to be distracted? Do you want to be hyper-focused on what's going on? Anything you got? Yeah, have snacks. <laughs> I feel like when I was sitting there, I just wanted to snack on something, take my mind off and then bring something to do, you know, um, yeah, probably not read. You're not going to read, but something just mindless, whether that's a, you know, a tic-tac-toe with whoever your other support person is or word search or something that's kind of mindless that you can do. Um, I would recommend not playing on your phone because as you play on your phone, you look at the time on the very top. And that was worse for me because I was like, oh, my gosh, it's been way longer than what they said. You know, is he okay? What's going on? And as you're waiting in that waiting room, you see oh, their surgery's done, their surgery's done, you know, other loved ones going back and I was still in the waiting room and that was just heart-wrenching to know, you know, watch that. So that would kind of be my advice. And Kyle, what were you doing during the surgery? I'm kidding. Taking a pretty good nap. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. All right, so I want to jump back actually to during chemo. Justine, were you able to go with him to his days of chemo? Yeah, I got to go quite a bit. Um, like I said, we did have some good support. So my sister-in-law went a couple of times and then my mother-in-law went a couple of times. Is that it? And then Um, I had a buddy that went with me once. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was able to have somebody every day. I was pre COVID. A lot of people I've talked to during COVID weren't able to have anybody. So that's great that you were able to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Our hospital, I don't know how your chemo treatment was set up, but ours was like, it was basically your own room. I mean, the front was wide open. So like you could tell if there's other people in there, but, uh, there was a wall on each side of you and then they had a curtain that they could put across it. So um, it's not like in the movies where they show them sitting in recliners, you know, just stacked down the hall next to each other. It was, it was pretty personal and, you know, you'd have to sit there and try to be strong for the person that was just starting chemo down the hall or anything like that is. So it was, it was pretty, I want to say easy, but it made it easier. Yeah, mine was kind of like you described with the recliners altogether. But that my uh, where I had treatment has now moved to a new location, and they've got kind of what sounds like what you've got, what you had. So that's good. Justine, I cut you off. Um. Oh, I had to wear a mask the whole time. Whoever the support person was had to wear a mask the whole time. But they were really they worked with the patients, and like Kyle didn't have to wear a mask. You know, he was so nauseous, breathing and smelling your own breath kind of made him more nauseous. So it was really nice that they kind of allowed some things during the COVID time. So getting back on track of where we were. So after the RPLND, what's recovery like for for Justine, who you know Kyle's kind of even more down than he was before. And Kyle, what's it like for you? We stayed in the hospital for what, four or five days. Mm-hmm. And and I stayed in the beginning with Kyle. And then I think on the last day that I was there, um, our kids had been floating between all the grandparents. And on the last day I was there, our middle child called and just, mom, I need you. I want you home. And so then I was like, okay, I forgot I'm a mom. Right. Like, so it really transferred us into different gears that we got to think about our kids. So I went home and took care of kids and Kyle's mom came and stayed with him. And then I came, brought him home and it was a lot. (laughs) It was a lot. 
you know, we didn't want the kids sitting with Kyle or jumping on Kyle or hugging Kyle just because it's, you know, his whole stomach, they cut open the whole stomach and it was very, you know, sensitive and he still wasn't feeling great. So it took quite a while for our kids to feel comfortable. That was another thing we were kind of scared. Like we didn't want to scare them to be like, oh, you can't, you know, be around your dad or anything, but we wanted to be clear that they wouldn't hurt Kyle. So again, we had great family and friends that gave us gift cards. We have a local girl that makes meals. So she made us meals and that helped a lot with like the dinner and evening routine. But, you know, it was, it's hard. I definitely feel like cancer stole one of the parents away from us. And it was really hard for my son's first year. Um, uh, yeah, recovery was not fun, especially for about the first month. It just, I mean, you moved wrong. It hurt. If you bumped it, forgot about it, kind of bumped up against the table or something, it hurt. And But, yeah, having her by my side was awesome. I mean, it, I couldn't have asked for anything better. And then our oldest daughter, I, she, she kind of gave us a taste of what a nice preteen life might be like with her. Um, she stepped up big time. She'd help with her brother, with her sister. She would her and her sister are complete opposites. You know, she's the girly girl. Her sister is more of a tomboy. So they normally don't get along in the aspect of playing together because they, they play with such different stuff. And I mean, she just kind of took one for the team and whatever her sister wanted to play with, that's what she played with to keep her quiet for us. And she would try to help feed her brother as much as she could or whatever she could do to help. And that really helped out and made recovery a lot easier. But I, I don't like sitting at home, so I, I probably pushed it a little harder than I should have. Um, you know, she would always tell me to stay home. I was like, okay. And then she would leave for work, and she worked 20 minutes away, so I'd be able to sneak out every once in a while and have my dad come get me or something. We'd go out and check cows and stuff like that. But Unfortunately, though, where we live, we got a lot of bumpy roads. So, you know, I told, I told my father-in-law, too, you need to come take the work truck because Kyle can't be driving. He can't be going around. So he would pick him up, but they wouldn't go out too long because those bumps on his belly didn't feel so great. Yeah, we usually didn't make it too far from town. So luckily our farms are only a quarter mile from town. So by the time we made it out there and kind of our feedlot's right there by the farm. So we'd drive through those calves and check those out. By the time we got done with that, I was ready to come back home. So how long after the RPLND were you able to kind of get back full capacity to your job? Um, it was, I guess, when do we have surgery? March. Mm -hmm. So April, I, like I said, I could start kind of cruising around. And then um, that's when we start our breeding season with our heifers is late April. I'm not going to ask so, you about that one. Yeah, we're uh, luckily for that though. It's literally like you drive out of town across the highway and right down to our where we breed. So I was able to go down there and um, I sat in the side by side and I got a right number. I got the easy job. I just wrote numbers down and stuff like that. And um, when we got to May, I was starting to feel a little bit better, and that's when we did the cows. So I was able to. I got back to running the shoot a little bit. Um, the levers to run it though are up above my head, so. You know, I, I could do it for a little bit, and then I had to switch because I'd start getting stiff or something sore, and so I'd, I'd have to switch with my dad. And then uh, when we started sorting cattle to go out to pasture, I was feeling pretty good. Probably shouldn't have been doing what I was doing. We definitely didn't tell the wife what we were doing. <laughs> but um, I would say about May, May or June, I, I was able to do most stuff. I just lifting was still kind of, I had to go easy on lifting, but as far as driving equipment and stuff like that, I, I could do it. It was just slower than normal. Yeah. Let's talk about your kids because as a, you know, Justine's here talking as a caregiver, but it also impacts the kids. I mean, they saw you sick. They were shuffled around from everybody. Um, your oldest stepped up and played with the other toys. I mean, what impact did this have on them? Do you think that they've become more well-rounded people now having been around cancer at such a young age? Yeah. So when we found out, we, 
we talked a lot about how are we going to tell them? Like, what what do we tell them? Do we keep it a secret? But then we, we are in a very small town and we knew that we had to tell our kids because, you know, it would get out and we didn't want to hide anything from them. Um, so we just said, you know, daddy's sick and here's what could happen. You know, he might lose his hair. He might not feel good. Um, and when we told them that he might lose his hair, my daughter said, oh, well, can I donate my hair? And so my daughter and I both donated our hair um, in October before he got his port. So that really like started the fundamentals of cancer very solid for her. She knew that, hey, I donated my hair to maybe another, you know, girl that had cancer and that would help her feel beautiful. And that really, I mean, bless her heart, because that is such a good deed that she did. You know, she's five years old and that's that's a lot for her. So that helped. Um, our middle, I think she was just like, whatever. Like, I don't think she really knew, could comprehend whatever. Um, and our youngest baby, uh, we hit the jackpot with him. He was so good. He was, you know, he was passed around a lot between family members. And so, like I said, a million times, we're so thankful for family members because he was so good and he would just go to anyone. And we were very, very lucky with that. Um, we do have a little niece and a little nephew and, you know, we were kind of worried about them too, but we're very positive when we told them. And then I have younger siblings, um, as well. I have some that are in middle school and then one that's in elementary school. And, you know, I think it hit them hard. I think it was, it was hard for them to see. And I struggled, I struggled a lot throughout the journey. So I think that was hard for them to watch me struggle. And, you know, there's nothing that you can do, um, during your journey, I think so many people are like, hey, what can we do? What can we make it better? But, you know, there's not anything. It's just you got to go through the motions. You got to go through the phase. Um, that's just kind of how cancer was for our family anyway. And I think during chemo, the toughest thing is my oldest was a huge daddy girl. She Every night before bed, we'd cut on the couch for a little bit and then go to bed. And on chemo that, you know, they say try not to touch, do skin to skin or anything like that because it can transfer. And so on the week-long treatments where I, well, between the week-long and then the following Monday, I couldn't touch her for, you know, till the Wednesday. And I, that was the hardest for me. It was just watching her kind of, I mean, it, it was, I don't think it created a hate for me, but it's just like she was almost mad at me distant like that i couldn't like i don't know if she felt that i wasn't trying or not but i mean because there'd be some nights where she would just throw a fit and just kind of break down on it so we would get me covered up in blankets and everything and i'd put gloves on or whatever and mask just so i didn't spray anything on her and stuff like that and she would climb up on me and cuddle for a little bit and it, it would kind of relieve it a little bit but that was probably the hardest thing you don't I guess you just don't realize how much contact you have, you do have with kids until it gets taken away from you. Yeah. Is there any concern now? Um, obviously with two daughters, they're not going to get testicular cancer, but anything, any concern about your daughters or your son? So that was one of the first questions I had for our doctor is, is this hereditary? Is this something that, you know, is going and he said it was not hereditary. So that, makes me feel good, but it's terrifying. It's terrifying. I do not want my kids. I don't want my siblings. I don't want my, you know, extended family, aunts, uncles. I don't want anyone to go through this because it's, it wasn't fun. It was, it was horrible for us. You know, it was a really hard time and I don't want anyone to go through it. So um, we're definitely going to make him aware when he's old enough to understand and definitely do monthly checks. You know, it, it takes, two minutes in the shower to do and you just don't think about it until you go through it. And then you got to be the advocate for everyone that doesn't understand. Yeah. And that is kind of, I mean, it, yeah, like she said, it, it was terrible going through, but I no father wants to see their kids get sick, especially like that. So I was very glad that it happened to me and not my son. And now we know what to, you know, what to kind of check for if it does happen, what to expect. So like, but we can at least keep him on, on it and make sure he does check and everything like that. And, um, it, it helps me with my nephew and my brother-in-law, 
you know, they, they had questions too. And it, I think that's the biggest thing, I, you know, just a guy coming from a guy, like guys don't like to ask questions like that. They don't, you know, it's not a comfortable situation to yeah. talk about either. You know, when you say testicular cancer, I feel like people want to hide. They don't want to ask questions. They don't want to know anything. And it's, it's normal, you know, it's okay. I, I think, that's the beauty of us going through it is we can share what we know and what we went through. So, you know, it could potentially help someone else. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to assume, but the Midwest, I guess, is known more for being more like conservative in, in a lot of ways. So maybe talking about testicular cancer, isn't something that you guys would have normally talked about. Am I wrong? Yeah, absolutely. It never even crossed my mind. I mean, and until we, I found the lump, and I, it still didn't cross my mind. That's what it'd be, and it's just, yeah, it's crazy. Like I said, it's you know, in the shower, it's like a guy, you know, you're not gonna ask anybody. So, you know, if you're in the shower, you know, check them out, make sure nothing feels odd, and you know, just ask questions is the biggest thing. I, I know it sucks. I, I hated it when she told me I had to go get it checked. I pushed it and pushed it to where I didn't. I wanted to go and. She finally made me. It's it is. It's just you got to ask questions and you just got to kind of step up and do it. And I mean, it's it's better to be wrong and be embarrassed a little bit than you know be in a situation where you did put it off and then you go find out and you end up with stage two. So you had three kids at the time of of diagnosis. Were there are there plans to have more? Was sperm making ever on the table for you guys? Or at after three, you guys were kind of over it. I made the mistake of telling her after if we had two of them and they were either both girls or both boys, we could try for a third one. Um, after two, I was ready to be done. I tried to hold off and, uh, our son was actually a very big surprise to both of us and kind of a, a sign from God that we needed one more. Cause it was one of those things where it just, she came home one day and told me and, it was a very big surprise for both of us. And, but after, uh, we found out we were pregnant with him, we knew we were done. I three was where I really wanted to be done and kind of where we had agreed to, if we, even if we had three girls, we were done regardless. So fortunately for us, we were already planning on being done. So it didn't take anything away from us. I think it's hard. You know, he says that, but I'll be honest. I think it's hard. Um, you know, they, they told us if, you guys are interested in having more, you definitely need to think about sperm banking because, you know, it, it's going to be hard for you guys to have kids and very unlikely. Um, you'll have to go through lots of fertility and, you know, it it won't it won't be likely unless you, you know, start doing that sperm banking prior. So, um, yes, we're very content. I do feel like our family's done and, um, you know, we're very Christian people and we do feel like God had blessed us in this process and that we had a baby prior to this, you know, is just the timing of our son being born was phenomenal. Um, but it hurts going through this and knowing like, Hey, you know, that, that part of our life is done and we're not the ones that so much said it, you know, cancer kind of took that away from us. I think that was more what her, her it was, it was, it was kind of, the chance was taken away. Yeah. But and there's one thing I did learn going through it all is never make a joke about that. Because <laughs> when the doctor's like, you done having kids, I was like, yeah, you can just snip the other one while you're in there. <laughs> he didn't think it was as funny as I did. But <laughs> and I was like, I understand. But, you know, you try to be positive. So you try to make jokes out of stuff. But, I mean, it is serious, especially for the guys that are, you know, go through something like this and then unfortunately can't have kids afterwards. So if, if you can and you are serious about having kids, that the banking is something to look into and get it done. But yeah, it, it played out for us, luckily. Yeah, that's great. As we come down the home stretch here, Kyle, I'll start with you and then we'll let Justine finish. But any advice you have for uh, patients, survivors, and then for caregivers that we didn't already discuss? Um, as far as patients, uh, especially if you're going through chemo, find what works for you. Um, how was the oil I used? Peppermint. Peppermint oil helped my nauseousness a lot. Um, heating blanket, 
Uh, I was fortunate enough. I didn't have the tingling in my hands or toes, like they say is common, but, um, yeah, family was very involved. They, they tried they, you know, they look out for you. They tried to, they were always Googling and trying to find things that would help. And I mean, the best advice I can tell you is try it. If it doesn't work, don't try to please family and make it work. Just if it doesn't work, don't do it. If you find something that does work, do it because yeah, it, it sucks going through it. So do whatever it can to make it easier. Um, afterwards, after being a survivor, help somebody. Um, it, it, you know, I got buddies that they don't like to talk about it still. They just, you know, it's kind of, it makes you uncomfortable. It does. But, you know, help somebody. Give them some facts about it. Talk to them about it. If somebody has a question, don't make them feel awkward for asking the question. Like, I think that's the worst thing we can do is making somebody feel awkward and they never ask a question again and then something happens. Um, but that that would be the biggest thing is afterwards is if you can help somebody in any way, shape, or form with it, help them. So as far as caregivers, I think your job is so important and so thankless. You know, yes, they they thank you, but they're not giving you that thank you every day, you know, and it's hard to keep going because they're sick. They're not feeling good. You know, they're not in the right headspace to, you know, to be appreciative of you. So take care of yourself, whether that means go drink a glass of wine in the evenings or make sure you're drinking water when you're there because, you know, you can't get yourself not feeling well when you're trying to take care of someone else during this time. Um, rely on family. No, you can't do it on your own. You can't. And whether that's someone to take the kids for a little bit of time or go get you groceries or make you a meal, um, just let it happen and let it be. You know, your house isn't going to be perfect. It's not going to be clean. Things aren't going to be done. You might not get your work done on time. Um, whatever it is, people are really accepting during that time and and know that you're going through such a hard time and willing to help. The other thing that I would say is be positive. I was not positive throughout the thing at all. Um, I'm so thankful that I had Kyle during the time just because he was so positive. You know, there were, there were times I would be in tears and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I was saying that as a caregiver and he's like, it's okay. Like it's fine. Like it's not a big deal. You know, like I'm like, Hey, it is a big deal, but having a positive attitude helps, um, you know, still today, not that cancer is anything to joke about, but that's how we kind of survived it is laughs and jokes and smiling. And that's how we made it through. Great advice from both of you. Um, you guys are the first ones I think I've interviewed that have gotten me misty. I don't know if you can tell through the through the Zoom here, but I was misty a couple of times. So Kyle and Justine Benoit, thank you so much for being on It Takes Balls. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks. For more information and resources for your testicular cancer journey, visit testiculacancerawarenessfoundation.org. You can also follow us on social media at Testis Cancer. We're on Facebook at Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation.